Hi, and welcome to Failureology, a podcast about engineering failures. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm Brian, and we're both from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Welcome to our fourth mini failure episode. We're bringing you engineering failures in bite-sized pieces. Make no mistake, these are still significant failures, but they either have pretty straightforward causes or not enough information available for a full episode. Essentially, we have a list of failures we want to tell you about, but haven't been able to dig up enough info to talk about them for 45 minutes. These episodes are also just the failure, no news and no fake ads, at least for now. It's like failureology light. This week's main failure is about the Dunsmuir rail disaster in Dunsmuir, California. On July 14, 1991, a Southern Pacific train derailed into the upper Sacramento River at a horseshoe curve of track known as the Cantera Loop, just north of the town of Dunsmuir, California. Several of the derailed cars made contact with the water, including a tank car, but they didn't know what was there at the time. Spoiler alert, it's on our podcast, so it's probably bad. Like, <laughs> really, really bad. This one's really bad. It's not good. By the morning of July 15th, it was apparent that the tank car had ruptured and spilled its entire contents into the river. This was approximately 70,000 liters of the soil fumigant, metamsodium, which is a biocide that pretty much kills any living thing. Like we said, really bad. Yeah, this is really bad, but we're going to back up a little bit here. What was the Cantera Loop? So the train route through California goes past one of the tallest volcanic peaks in the U.S., which is Mount Shasta. To avoid building and operating a track in mountainous terrain, which if you've hiked some mountains, you know is probably going to be a pain in the butt, the train route went down into the Sacramento River Valley. But in order to do that, they had to get trains in and out of the valley, and this was one of the biggest design challenges that the engineers faced. In order to overcome the steep slope, the track has two switchbacks in it near Dunsmuir. Heading uphill, the first is the Cantera Loop, which is located right at the Sacramento River crossing and is the location of this failure. And the second is the Sawmill Curve, which is less sharp, still challenging, but less so than Cantera, and it's located near the highway. The Cantera Loop is one of America's most challenging sections of rail track, with a curvature of 14 degrees and a curve radius of 125 meters. It's so challenging, in fact, that trains require extra locomotives to overcome gravity as they climb out of the Sacramento River Valley. They house these extra locomotives 8 kilometers south of the loop. The train that derailed was 1,800 meters long, with 97 cars. 11 of those cars were loaded and 86 were empty for a total weight of just over 4,000 tons. The train was traveling north up the canyon from San Francisco to Portland. At around 9.40 p.m. as the train was approaching the Cantera Loop, the lead locomotive and the seven cars behind it derailed into the Sacramento River. One of those was the tank car Brian mentioned earlier. The derailment was ultimately caused by the configuration of the train. There were too many empty light cars at the front of the train and too many heavy cars at the back, and this led to what's known as the stringlining effect. So the forces of the heavy front and rear sections of the train tugged away from each other, causing the lighter cars in the middle to come off the tracks to form a straight line between both ends. So pretend like you're holding two ends of a string and then you pull them tight. That's what happened. The front and the back of the train were those two fixed ends of the string, and they pulled tight, which then pulled the rest of the cars in the middle off the track. There was also a problem with the lead locomotive. It hadn't been working properly and had been surging and jerking. 
And this surging was happening as the train went into the curve, which also increased the risk of string lining. In order to prevent this type of derailment from happening again, they built a barrier to prevent string lining trains from falling into the river. They added regulations to train configuration to prevent string lining in the first place. And then regulations were added to reduce the length of the trains, reduce speed, and upgrade locomotives pulling the train. So a lot of trains have traveled through the Cantera loop since and before this failure. This route gets traveled quite a bit. It's a pretty popular route. I'm not going to say there hasn't been any other disasters, but there's I don't think there's been any that are this extreme. But I am glad to see that they've put measures in place to to prevent this from happening again. I do find this failure to be really, really interesting. I really... Fun fact about me, I really like trains. That's my favorite way to travel of all forms of transportation. Trains are my favorite. I went to Ireland a couple years ago and we traveled everywhere by train and it was the coolest thing ever. Trains are super good for traveling. I, I was in Switzerland many years ago and uh, traveling between cities on the on the train and having train beers was a great way to get around the country. Yeah, it's so to me, it's it's kind of like air travel to an extent. As in, you're just a passenger and there's features and things on the train, you know, you can get up and go to the washroom, but, you know, there's food cars sometimes and there's drink cars sometimes, but you're really just riding until you can do kind of whatever you want and you bring stuff to keep you occupied like that. You know, I pack for the train similar to how I'd pack for a plane, but there's usually Wi-Fi on the train. You have cell service. You, you can look out the window and you can see stuff. There's not crazy, usually not crazy security to get onto the train platform. It's a lot more. Yeah, seats like, are more comfortable. More, yeah, seats are more comfortable. Sometimes you get to ride backwards, which is cool. They're usually not full, so you get to, uh, you can kind of sit and spaced out. Also, I think this is really cool, and this is so weird that I think this is cool, but they don't check your ticket before you get on the train. They check your ticket while you're riding. So everyone just like gets on the train, and they just trust that everyone has a ticket, and then someone comes around and checks your ticket as you're traveling to the first stop, which I think is so interesting to me that they just let you walk on the train. Maybe I fly too much. I don't know. But it's just so, I think it's just such, I love trains. I love them so much. So this this failure is what I've wanted to do for a while. And I'm really glad that we're doing these mini fails because it's kind of a simpler failure and there's not a lot to it. So as much as I've tried, we probably wouldn't have been able to cover this on a regular episode. Trains are, trains are great. And I hope that North America gets on the high-speed rail bandwagon, train wagon. Yeah, I'd love to train. First of all, a train to Edmonton. Why don't we have a high-speed Alberta train? So for any listeners that aren't familiar with Alberta geography, Calgary and Edmonton are both cities that are over a million people in Alberta, the two biggest cities. They're about 300 kilometers apart, pretty much north-south from each other. It takes two and a half-ish, three hours to drive up to Edmonton, about the same time to fly once you go through security and grab a bag if you have a bag. And they've been trying to build a high-speed rail connection between the cities for 40 plus years, a significant period yeah. of time. The, the yeah. terrain is not inhospitable to building a high-speed rail connection. It's fairly flat between the two cities. There's no giant mountain passes that they need to go through or around. There are a few river valleys they'd have to go across or, you know, creek beds they have to go across, but it's not an insurmountable high-speed rail access. So they feel if, if Switzerland can have high-speed rail, Calgary Edmonton can probably figure out a high-speed rail connection. Well, and we we like to joke about how Saskatchewan is flat and you can watch your dog run away for three days, but that drive is flat and it's straight. Like when Brian says it's north-south straight, like 
he means it. You, the only time you really turn is to go around Red Deer. It's yeah, there's, like, a, it's a, there's a couple. There's a couple more than that, but it's 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 essentially straight right between the two. Yeah, and like I kind of just mentioned, Red Deer's right in the middle. Well, it's a little bit further north, but it's Red Deer's pretty much in the middle. So it's not you know you serve that corridor serves basically three cities. Red Deer has I think five hundred thousand people, and then to me, eventually you know you put that piece in, and then you add to it later. Like it would be really nice to have a train to Lethbridge, maybe Medicine Hat. And as well, one to Fort McMurray. But the other thing I think that's important about this train to me, Via Rail, which is the, for the Americans listening, the Amtrak of Canada, doesn't come to Calgary. We don't have a train service. We're not on the Canadian network, which really pisses me off because I'd love to take trains places and I can't. If we had a high-speed train to Edmonton, I would gladly take our that high-speed train to Edmonton and get on via rail and take the train. Like, I think it would be cool to take the train to Vancouver or to take the train to Saskatchewan. Well, maybe not Saskatchewan. Sorry, Saskatchewan people. I like Saskatoon. Okay, well, I guess you'll be the only passenger. <laughs> but I uh, know that the corridor between Calgary and Edmonton, the, the vehicle traffic that goes back and forth every day is, is quite significant. As well as the air travel back and forth, there's probably 10 flights a day between 10 plus flights a day between two or three different airlines that travel back and forth between Calgary and Edmonton. So there should be people that are willing to hop on a high speed train if it was reliable and it could get them, say, from downtown Calgary to downtown Edmonton. Maybe there's a stop in Red Deer. Um, so I think there would be a market. But again, this is a substantial investment for likely the government at the federal and the provincial level possibly a little bit of municipal input to make this project happen. I have driven that drive many times before our Edmonton office was established because my firm has done work kind of all over Alberta and our Edmonton office is, I think it's seven or eight years old, maybe a little bit older than that. But it's, it's you know, I've been with the firm. I was with the firm before the Edmonton office was opened. And so I've done that drive many, many times. And I usually leave at 5 a.m. because that's the only way I get to drive up without a ton of cars on the road. And when I drive back around two, three o'clock in the afternoon, cause you know, that's kind of a full day for me. If I start at five, it's there's it's bumper to bumper and it's very unpleasant. So yeah, there is a lot of cars on that, on that road. Do you think that the train would be faster than driving? I do think it would be faster than driving. Um, especially if it's a high speed rail connection, likely, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, I'm going to say two to 300 kilometers an hour is what the high-speed rail could get up to. Um, one of the challenges, I think, would be once you arrive at your destination, there need to be significant rental car availability or, um, I'd say, bike availability. But here in North America, we're not quite as good at riding bikes around uh, various places compared to somewhere like the Netherlands. So there would need to be, I, I think, some infrastructure once you got to the destination. And then if it, if it is a downtown-to-downtown connection, I don't know how much room there is in Calgary downtown or Edmonton downtown to put in a high-speed rail station. Well, one option is to extend our station. So fun fact, Calgary's, we call it the C train, our our subway-like metro system doesn't go to the airport, which is silly if you ask me. But if we extended it to the airport and this train just went to the airport, that would be fine and and same thing in edmonton if edmonton had a train that went to the airport i mean edmonton's airport's in leduc so it's not really that close to downtown but if they had infrastructure in edmonton to get you 
to downtown, I mean, that's not the end of the world. It's a start. It's not perfect, but it's a start. Yeah, it would be nice to see that that high-speed rail connection. The other thing is they could just put the train right down the middle of Deerfoot in the median. There's there's not enough room in the median to, to do that. Man, we've gotten off on a complete tangent. Sorry, yeah. everyone. Subscribing to our our podcast, our Patreon that had to listen to our divergence. But don't you, you can really feel how much we love trains though, right? That's the message we wanted to get across. We love trains. They are pretty cool. Choo-choo. All right, back to <laughs> the, back to the Dunsbury rail disaster after our tangent on our train system here in Alberta. As I mentioned earlier, one of the take cars was filled with metasodium which is a very potent herbicide and pesticide that's most commonly used to sterilize the soil for agricultural purposes. It's great to use if you need to kill everything in your, in your field so that you can start growing things. Unfortunately, when it's mixed with water, metasodium breaks down into several highly toxic compounds. Again, not good. These chemical compounds have varying toxicities and half-lives in the aquatic environment. Luckily, while some of these compounds are highly toxic, they all dissipate in a matter of hours or weeks and don't linger long-term. So that's, you know, I guess silver lining. They dissipate quickly after they've killed everything. All around, if they're used for their intended purposes, probably good in marine and aquatic environments, not good for all the fish and the aquatic life there. So when the train derailed and the metasodium started leaking into the river, it turned a greenish brown color where it was normally clear. So again, not good. It took almost three days before scientists were even allowed near the water due to the toxicity. So again, not good. That's how toxic this stuff was. This is pretty nasty stuff. So the metasodium plume that was in the water, it traveled at just under one mile per hour. And the chemical plume wound up entering Shafta Lake, which was 66 kilometers away from the Cantera Loop on the morning of July 17, 1991. At the lake, representatives from the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, the Department of Water Resources, and Southern Pacific, the rail line that was operating the derailed train, got to work cleaning up the mess, which is good. The dilution and evaporation of the metasodium, combined with the continued aeration, reduced the chemical to undetectable levels in the lake by July 29, 1991. So 12 days it took before the, the levels were undetectable. And, and this was two weeks after the derailment. Unfortunately, by the time that it had reached safe levels or undetectable levels, over a million fish and tens of thousands of amphibians and crayfish were killed. Millions of aquatic invertebrates, including insects and mollusks, which form the basis of the river's ecosystem, were destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of willows, alders, and cottonwoods eventually died. Many, many more were severely injured. The upper Sacramento River is now largely recovered from the spill, which is great news. Although some species, such as crayfish and frogs, have not yet come back. The watershed is carefully stewarded by the Upper Sacramento River Exchange. The popular fishery is again healthy, and recent changes to angling regulations have opened the Upper Sacramento River to catch and release fishing all year round. Five-pound trout have often been caught right in the city. So there you have it, the Dunsmere Rail Disaster, which still ranks as the largest hazardous chemical spill in California. Take that, Aaron Brockovich. Ooh, I love that movie. Luckily, most species have completely recovered now after a three-year fishing ban. It's also nice to see that the regulators have put mechanisms in place to prevent this type of disaster from happening again. It's excellent to see. We want to learn lessons from our mistakes. 
not repeat them. We don't repeat these things. Well, at least we try not to repeat them. True, we try. Try really hard. Thanks for listening to this mini failure episode. For our regular episodes, check out Failurology wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to chat with us, our Twitter handle is at Failurology. You can email us at thefailurologypodcast at gmail.com, or you can connect with us on LinkedIn. There's links to all of these in the show notes, and we'd love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. Bye, everyone. Talk soon.